I think it's important to note that customer experience from our point of view is absolutely well and truly bolted to the commercial viability of a business. This isn't a marketing construct and sort of the, the love child of CRM and something else. This is absolutely about making sure that the products that you sell and put into market are exactly what the customer wants and will come back to again and again. And in fact, we'll tell their friends about uh, wanting to purchase again and again. And that, in the end, just talks directly to commercial levers such as revenue, profit, and um, shareholder, um, shareholder value. Welcome to the Smart Business Transformation Podcast, the show for executives with a growth mindset who are leading transformation programs. I'm your host, Ben Ramsden, and this week we're talking about all things customer experience, or CX as as we like to call it these days. And I'm absolutely delighted and honoured to welcome Graham Christie and Robert Kincaid to the show, who are co-founders and co-managing directors of CX360, which is a specialist strategy and transformation business solely focused on customer experience. Now, Graham is an accomplished digital leader and pioneer in mobile customer marketing, and he was the inaugural chair of the IAB Mobile Council and Australia's board representative to the APAC Mobile Marketing Association in Singapore. And Robert is a senior CX and digital transformation specialist who led Ernst & Young's digital operations practice across Asia Pacific and Accenture's digital customer practice for Australia and New Zealand. But I think the most important thing is between them, they've delivered major pioneering projects in some of the world's largest mobile phone companies, global car brands, international airlines, major government departments, massive retail organizations, and uh, and far, far more than that. So uh, a bit later on, we're actually going to talk about some specific uh, case studies to, to make this real. But gentlemen, welcome to Smart Business Transformation. How are you going today? thanks ben very well yeah very good ben thank you so customer experience or cx as we're now calling it um what really is cx in in 2019 well thanks ben that's a great question and and one we find tends to elicit a a wide uh, range of responses well, we think about it quite simply. We we think of it really as the, and, and it's important to say we think about this from the customer perspective, but from that perspective, it's it's really the emotional state or the reaction that human beings have uh, when they sum up all the interactions they have with an organization. Now, that could be a brand, could be a, a government agency, et cetera. Uh, but it's really how it all ladders up to how they feel after they've interacted with a brand, either for a very specific need or for a variety of needs uh, over time. Oh, wow. So it's an, it's an emotional thing then. It's, uh, that, that's at the core. Absolutely. It's all about the emotional bond, the emotional connection that one makes with the organization based on, on what they experience. Um, and, and some of the more concrete measures like net promoter score, which is uh, a very common metric used to measure customer experience, um, tend to reflect that. So, so basically net promoter score says how likely are you to recommend this business to a friend or a colleague um, on, on a defined scale. And really it's that 
emotional state, that emotional feeling that somebody has that's going to drive where they rate the brand on that continuum. Now, why is it so important right now? Well, there's a number of factors. Um, you know, we're in this very uh, unprecedented period of time where digital disruption has, has really broken down barriers to entry uh, across virtually every sector in the market. And that, that applies to both B2C businesses and, and B2B businesses. So the, the fight for relevance, the fight to maintain um, market share, the, the fight to get into new markets is, is more fierce and competitive than it's ever been, at least in, in, in my career. And I think many would argue uh, you know, that it's been in, in, in decades, if not ever. So one great way that organizations can um, keep the finger on the pulse of, of that competitive landscape is through getting their CX right. Now, you're co-founders and co-managing directors of CX360, which is solely focused on CX, solely focused on, on customer experience. C can you just give us a bit of an introduction to your organization and what you do? Yeah, so uh, as uh, you said, thanks, Ben. Uh, we're solely focused on customer experience, and um, we uh, are therefore uh, very much um, – interested in helping organizations understand how they can strategize around customer experience and how they can help their business transform to become more customer centric. Um, we have a bit of a mantra in the business, uh, which is, um, um, is about helping organizations put the customer at the heart of their transformation. Because most businesses are, um, to some degree and, and often to a large degree are in quotes transforming from a legacy uh, legacy systems, legacy thinking. Um, tr quite often that transformation can revolve around um, um, IT and uh, internal processes and it occurs to us uh, and really is our, our, our kind of North Star. It occurs to us that if, if a business is in the, in the process of transforming from a model that served itself well in last century to a model that's going to serve the business well in this century, then putting the customer at the heart of that transformation is a very good insurance policy to make sure that the, the choices that you're making for your business, whether that be talent, infrastructure, processes, uh, technology, all those are employed at the service of getting closer to the customer because that in the end will be the only transformation that will matter that in the end will be the only thing that will um, uh, really provide that organization with an insurance policy of remaining relevant and, and um, returning shareholder growth in the medium and long term. So, Graham, um, I'm sure our listener completely understands the importance of being customer-centric, of putting customer at the center of things. And as I go around town helping clients, everybody sort of kind of knows that. And they all know they're a bit rough at the edges in probably 50 or 100 different areas. Um, and there's different things tallying for attention in terms of, of things to fix and things to work on. 
you know it's a bit like the proverbial frog sitting in a in a pot of water that's um gradually getting warmer and you know doesn't really notice it's 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 getting warmer and it never quite decides to to, to jump out before before it's too late what well, can you make it real for us what are the sort of symptoms that that, that our listener may be seeing in their organization uh, that means they really need to get onto this now. What are the opportunities for for, for people to, uh, to 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 get onto this? We we, we call um, we, we call that companies entering the death zone. Um, and re- really, what what we see is businesses that um, have so much inertia in the way that they do what they do that they um, are really just um, um, you know essentially migrating towards a cliff edge. Uh, and I think some of the indicators that would, would, would be, or some of the signals that would be cast up from that would be obvi- the obvious things such as um, market share, um, the ability to premium price your product, um, uh, customer retention, uh, stroke customer churn. Some of those obvious measures are things that start to become, um, gather their own momentum uh, as the relevance that your business's products and services has to the has to the consumer uh, diminishes, um, but there's also other areas where we think that that growing um, or increasing sense of irrelevance, if you like, uh, starts to become apparent, and that's an interesting areas such as talent acquisition and talent retention. So it's actually the the business's the business's own ability to attract top-flight executives and retain top-flight executives um, uh, becomes more and more tricky. If, if the view that is that the, the, the mar- if the market is responding to the, cost, uh, the, to the products and services in a way that seems to suggest that their, their, their shelf life is becoming limited. So um, there's, I think it's important to note that customer experience, from our point of view, is absolutely well and truly bolted to the commercial viability of a business. This isn't a marketing construct and sort of the, the love child of CRM and something else. This is absolutely about making sure that the products that you sell and put into market are exactly what the customer wants and will come back to again and again. And in fact, we'll tell their friends about uh, wanting to purchase again and again. And that, in the end, just talks directly to commercial levers such as revenue, profit, and um, shareholder um, shareholder value. And, and I might just quickly add to that. Um, you know, I think it's important to call out that this, for many organizations, is truly about transformation. Uh, you know, it's not about launching a new website or getting a little bit better with your usability on your mobile app. Um, for many businesses to remain viable uh, in this new competitive landscape, you know, they're looking at embedding a whole new suite of capabilities to really get to the heart of, of you know, what the customers want and need and, and to what degree they're actually meeting those needs or exceeding those needs. So that gets into new ways of, of measuring um, that customer experience, new analytical functions to combine some of that feedback data with operational data to really understand some of the cause and effects of, of how they run the business day to day versus what's actually working with customers and, and what's not. And in a lot of cases, uh, we're seeing businesses really starting to recognize that they, they need to, to really um, you know, rethink their entire operating model. And in a lot of cases, you've got some pretty, um, you know, some pretty, um, you know, firm silos in the organization that have, have kind of grown over time where, where businesses have maybe thought about things 
as a digital versus a physical set of interactions. But as we all know, as as customers and consumers, we, we just don't shop that way. We, we kind of expect the brand to have the right hand, the left hand uh, working in unison and, and helping us get things solved, whether we call up, whether we go to a website, whether we walk into a branch. Um, but, you know, ironically, most organizations today are still struggling to get themselves organized and aligned to um, deliver those interactions seamlessly uh, across the different touch points, both physical and digital. And that's that's a big change. So we, you know, we, we, we do like to call out that, um, you know, the T word is relevant. Some people like to avoid that word because it sounds a bit scary. Um, but the good news is technology has evolved so much now and, and new ways of working have evolved, you know, whether it's, you know, human centric design um, capabilities, uh, whether it's, you know, agile ways of, of you know, developing technology fast and getting it right the first time because the right folks have a seat at the table uh, working in unison. And, and, and I think very much the whole mindset around test and learn. You know, there's a whole a whole new wave of of tools, techniques, and and philosophies that businesses can embrace to really tackle this transformation challenge in a way that's um, you know very achievable. I, I think um, I mean Ben, you asked you asked a bit about you know the you know our business and, and the gestation of it, and I think it, it, just to pick up on Rob's point there, the, the whole reason the business is called CX360 is because we see customer experience as a 360-degree um, initiative that the organization needs to take. And so Rob mentioned uh, customer-centric operating model. Um, and when we look at that, we look at the holistic uh, picture being a culmination of uh, the functional areas within the, the business. So whether that's brand and marketing, product, culture, people, process, um, technology, uh, and data. And, and each one of those things um, will um, deliver essentially a good customer experience or a poor customer experience. And therefore, for any business that's looking to transform, it's about optimizing those particular functions and most importantly, getting them aligned. Um, so importantly, our business is not about the front end, just the front end, like a lot of CX businesses are. So it's about the the mobile app or the website or you know something which is deals with uh, you know a call center um, specifically. It's actually in theory the end to end business and those functions within it. Now that's of course not to say that we we only operate across all of you know a holistic um, approach which includes all of those functions. Normally, a, a, a client would say, we need some help in these specific areas, and that's where we uh, end up helping them. But but we take a holistic view of the entire business in order to uh, put the, the best possible foot forward. Now, I'd now, to get, to get specific in a minute around some case studies because uh, move from sort of generic into real life because I think that that really makes it become real but before we do I just want to cover off a couple of other questions I've got is there any different I mean I'm guessing this this applies both to b2b and to b2c um, I mean, am, am I right there and if so are there any differences between those 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 two different uh, approaches well, I think it's um, it's an interesting question, Ben. In that, um, I think the perception tends to be there's a lot there's a lot more that's different than uh, commonality. 
but in some of the, the clients we work with, helping them on their, their B2B client centricity, what we're really learning and, and seeing is that a lot of the core principles that are, are relevant at a B2C level do transfer over quite naturally to, to B2B interactions. You know, the obvious difference is, is the scale and, 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 and in a B2C environment, you're obviously dealing with, you know, significantly greater volume of customers. And some of those customers tend to be quite transactional in nature, where in, in a B2B environment, you know, there's, there's a much uh, tighter segmentation usually, a very finite list of, of prospects and customers. And those, those interactions tend to be more complex in the nature that um, there's multiple stakeholders involved. The, you know, the, I guess the, the, the sales cycles, the, the buying and the renewal cycles can be quite lengthy. And, and there's a little bit more orchestration around those um, those interactions, given that diversity of stakeholder and influencer group. But you know, a lot of the things that that really make people um, you know emotionally respond well to a brand at a B 2 C level um, absolutely come into play at B 2 B. And that's the point that I think a lot of uh, businesses have have lost, and they've they've thought of it, about it in quite a a different way and kind of lost that human connection and that human touch that, that really drives us all. Very interesting. I mean, if you think, Ben, of the, so can I just add some uh, a point in there? If you think really the common denominator, whether it's B2C or B2B, is that for different reasons, um, brands are finding it difficult to genuinely differentiate in, in market sectors. Um, and so, um, that's not just about in a B2C space, you know, a laundry detergent that wants to make whites wash whiter, uh, which is a classic example of how do you differentiate in a market where everybody's using the same uh, materials, the same compounds to stand out and to drive um, drive drive uh, drive customers and customer retention. The same could be said of many businesses that are using very similar technologies, often cloud technologies now in very similar ways and their marketing functions are operating in very similar ways, it's actually very difficult to um, drive a differentiation in a normal product sense. But actually, if you then take a view that um, getting far closer to your customer and understanding really what the motivations, expectations, needs of that customer are, and then meeting those better than your competitors strikes us as a very key battleground to really win the hearts and minds and therefore the custom and revenue that that customer offers. Fantastic. Gentlemen, let's move on to talk about some really specific examples. Um, I think there's a couple that you thought were really relevant to this discussion. Uh, one in the government arena, which I know for me personally, uh, raises all sorts of emotions that aren't always uh, positive. And another one from, from the, the media sector, which um, has obviously been through a bit of a... Uh, bit of a disruption to say the least as a result of uh, digital technology over the last few years um where do you want to start well why don't we why don't we start with uh, what's happening in public sector um citizen-centered transformation because i i think you know it's probably one of the more uh exciting and inspirational case studies out there right now because as, as you've alluded to oftentimes governments tends to, to not get it right in terms of delivering a great experience. And, um, you know, we're, we're quite, I guess, privileged as citizens of New South Wales, or I guess for those listeners who, who are here in New South Wales, to, you know, have a, what I consider to be one of the world's uh, best examples of the government getting it right, and that's in, in service New South Wales. Um, so, so just to quickly bring that to life for those that don't know about service New South Wales, 
Um, in the state, the, the government basically said, look, we've got about 20 different agencies that citizens you know, interact with for, for very simple services, whether it's getting a driver's license renewed, whether it's um, you know, registration for a business. It could be something as simple as uh, getting a beekeeper's license. Believe it or not, that's something that's uh, required. So before service to New South Wales, uh, citizens had to kind of navigate across these 20 different agencies to figure out where to go. And they all had different websites. They all had different um, call centers with varying degrees of, of staffing quality, you know, staffing optimization, et cetera. Um, some had walk-in centers, some didn't. And it was really quite quite confusing. And even simple things like how do you prove your ID you know, through a 100-point check was, was um, you know, very diverse across these different agencies. So the government kind of said, look, enough's enough. We need to just make it simpler for citizens to get stuff done um, and give them some time back in their lives. And you know, and at the time, satisfaction with uh, the state government wasn't wasn't stellar, and there there was some data that the government had on that. So they really said, let's let's go out and and see if we can move the needle on that citizen satisfaction through simplifying things, and essentially created Service New South Wales as a as a true one stop shop model. So rather than having all these different agencies, you, you can go to one common front door to get service from the state. And it's really designed with the, you know, the, the omni-channel mindset right from the beginning. So, you know, if, if you need to call, um, you can do so. That data then flows to a, a, a service center if you have to go see someone face-to-face. And, and increasingly, you know, you can get a lot more of the stuff done just through digital channels, which is fantastic. It can, and again, um, leveraging data from the other, you know, the other touch points to make that very simple and seamless for the, for the citizens. Um, so that's been running for about five years now in New South Wales. And, you know, from our perspective, it just continues to go from strength to strength. It's a fantastic case study. And, you know, the citizen satisfaction scores now are, you know, consistently in the high 90s and um, in, in some measures, you know, consistently 99. And even at some of the service centers, they're they're literally coming in at 100 percent satisfaction which is, um, you know, just a, an amazing success story. And, and, you know, I guess what we, we tend to say to our, our commercial clients, our, you know, our, 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 our private sector clients, look, if, if government can transform uh, in such a bold way, what's, what's holding you back? Rob, that's a lovely, uh, lovely case study. Um, I, my mind boggles at the thought of trying to get a number of different government departments to to work together to have a sort of omni-channel mindset, I think was the the term you used. Just just briefly, um, can you just perhaps share an insight or two about how to how to how to get these dinosaurs to dance together? <laughs> it, it's really the the crux of the issue in our in our view, Ben. And um, you know, I think the the number one thing to to start with is is really strong leadership vision and executive sponsorship. And, you know, really setting that tone from the top that, um, you know, a, a whole of business perspective or a whole of government perspective must be taken. And that's going to have impacts on everybody. Um, but there's a very important reason for going on the journey. Um, so really setting that setting that scene, setting that tone from the top um, is, is kind of, uh, you know, mission critical item number one uh, in our view. But the other big side of it is is really getting down to you know, where does the rubber hit the road or, you know, what's life going to look like at the coal face 
um, as the the outcomes of the transformation come to life and and really designing those in a very human centric way. So really thinking through what are the pain points, you know, what, what are the things that people uh, really, really struggle with that that generates frustration, that generates really negative word of mouth and how to um, how to design for those to essentially eliminate those. And, and you know, one of my favorite things about the Service New South Wales example is that the real driver was was around increasing that citizen satisfaction. But if you actually look at the amount of redundancy um, in, in websites, uh, call centers, uh, shop fronts, you know, it, there was a massive, massive, um, you know, cost cost case as part of that 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 uh, business case as well. And, um, you know, the, the two aren't mutually exclusive. If you really design well, you can not only lift the engagement, lift, lift the satisfaction, but also simplify and streamline the business. Because invariably, there's things that are part of the operating model that, that aren't there to like customers. They're there because of legacy thinking, legacy architectures. And, and a lot of times that can be eliminated, which is fantastic. This is one of these things I feel we could discuss all day. But before we move on to the other case studies, are there any other key points you want to share with us? Look, I think another thing that really proved to be a, a winner with Service New South Wales is, is again, just that focus on, on the human touch. Um, so at a very practical level, if you if you need to call Service New South Wales, you, you're going to spend very little time into a, you know an IVR, um, you know an interactive uh, voice response system. You're talking to a human very quickly. And, you know, those humans are empowered to really get the job done um, without a whole bunch of handoffs and, and risks of, of frustrating the customers. And similarly, if you walk into a service center, you're going to see a concierge right when you walk in. And they're going to make sure that you've got your ducks in a row uh, before you go take a seat because um, they're very much mindful that people get frustrated if they, they sit down for half an hour and then find out they haven't brought the right form and they've got to then come back for another trip. So I think that's the main takeaway for me. It's really all about the human touches. And, um, you know, if you look at the success of Service New South Wales, I, you know, I very much believe that's been a, a major part of it. Yeah, I mean, speaking personally, um, I mean, I think I've lived and work in, worked in about five different countries and um, certainly worked in many others as well. And I have to say my personal experience of, of Service New South Wales is quite incredible to to walk into a government service centre and be met by a concierge, you know, even when it's really busy and they do have the, you know, the classic ticketing system that there's a real sort of human connection um, and somebody who's on your side to try and help you through the, uh, the, the, the bureaucracy you're about to about to experience. It's, it just just makes such a such a difference circling back to your uh, emotional point that you uh, talked about at the, uh, the head of the podcast. So so thank you for sharing that one, Rob. That's a pleasure, Ben. Um, Graham, are you going to talk to us about uh, about Media Land? Uh, why not? Um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, as you as you uh, signaled uh, earlier on, the media sector is one of the sectors that have under, undergone uh, really uh, comprehensive disruption over the last ten, fifteen years, in particular, and um, would probably be viewed generally as the most impacted. Um, um, and and it's fair to say, I think that um, the the threat that the, that that the sectors face is 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 one hundred percent existential. Uh, it, it it is and has been facing the the end of days um, for a good number of years. And 
and life uh, in terms of life as they know it. And I think the where we've come in uh, at this uh, to this particular sector, and I've worked in it specifically for about twelve years. Um, the, the the work that we've done recently is with a very significant uh, large media uh, organisation and um, the Australian uh, business. And the, the view that, that, that they expressed to us was that um, the disruption is so profound um, that they wanted to grasp the steering wheel back from the big uh, media platforms that have been driving the media um, the media uh, landscape for a number of years. And they were very keen to um, uh, exert more influence on it. Um, and, and I think that the challenge for particularly, you know, medium and, and large size media companies is that the, uh, uh, the processes and infrastructure and the, the ways of working um, is in some cases almost 10 or 20 years old themselves. Uh, the, these businesses uh, have grown up uh, in a non-digital environment and very, uh, the way in which they engage with customers has been completely uh, revolutionized by their competitors that have come in over the top. So, um, the the task um, and the case uh, study that that uh, we're happy to, to talk a bit about uh, just now really revolved around assisting um, uh, the, the this large this this large publisher with the ability to firstly understand what the new the, the new or current media landscape was for their customers um, and. Uh, do that within uh, the context of of um, uh, the knowledge that they had lost control of some of that that dialogue that the dialogue that they used to enjoy with their customers had been diluted through areas of automation and the ability to buy media um, without the need to uh, meet with a media sales rep. Um, in fact, without the need to even press a button in terms of always on media buying. And so um, the, uh, the, the the task was really to engage with uh, customers in a completely new way to really understand what their practical needs and their uh, business needs were in terms of accessing um, uh, the media that this publisher has to um, has to has to offer. Um, that really um, really suggested a, a quite a significant end-to-end review of of um, uh, how the what the existing uh, trading environments was, uh, what the existing sales teams looked like, how those sales teams were um, incentivized, um, and what customers felt they were going how how customers felt they were going to be behaving in terms of media sales in the next uh, in the next five years. Um, so that was stage number one. Actually, what are the needs and consolidate that? Uh, secondly, was to look uh, internally into the media company themselves and say, well, how does how does what you have and the services and products that you you have and how you sell them into customers? How does that map to what we've just heard in terms of customer needs? Um, how good a fit is that? And we often talk about in our business around product market fit, and this is certainly a term that's. Uh, that, that's now, I think, now getting wide, widespread um, play, is how, how well does your products and services really fit into the needs of your customers? How well do you know them? And so the second stage was to then map 
those products and services against the needs of customers. And then obviously uh, the third stage was to reconcile those 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 two inputs um, and to um, suggest where enhancements could be made, where in some cases um, the stop sign needed to be put up um, and where new opportunities and gaps that could be exploited could be first of all uh, understood and then and then acted upon. So um, in the end, uh, I guess uh, most uh, folk would probably say that the work revolved around what we call customer value proposition. So most businesses are very, very good, and media businesses are no different, at understanding what they want to try and sell and they undergo product development, uh, new product development and existing uh, product enhancements very much from a uh, inside out point of view so we have this product we're going to add on these two three features or we're going to alter the pricing uh, and in, in the end that's a value proposition but the customer value proposition obviously um, works back from the customer and therefore reconfigures the product settings and the, prop the proposition itself and how it's taken to market from a customer perspective for an organization that's done things very successfully for many years, uh, which I can well imagine a, a, a major media publishing organization has done. Um, how how do you help it? How do you help those uh, who are sort of steeped in the way it's done to essentially reboot their, their view about what the new customer perspective is? Because um, you're going to be challenging some quite fundamental beliefs, I get, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. Certainly challenging that, but in the end, numbers don't really lie. And um, if you look at the global media landscape, um, it, it's clear that very large premium publishers have continued to lose out to uh, Facebook and Google and others. And so there's nothing more compelling than a balance sheet, nothing more compelling than a customer value. Uh, as a way to ignite um, real motivation around making the case for change. Um, now, having said that, clearly um, any change in any organization requires sponsors uh, and supporters. And I think that it, it's um, you know part of what we believe is important, an important role for us is to spend time at an executive level uh, and, and even at board level ensuring that there is the appropriate level of mandate uh, required uh, for the work to take place before the actual work starts. So there's uh, solid commercial reasons and there needs to be an organizational uh, mindset to do it. And I think, Ben, just to add to that quickly, you know, a really fun thing that, that we really tend to insist goes into a process like this is, is to really embrace this, this um, you know, kind of, um, wealth of capabilities around design thinking. So, you know, workshopping through with uh, a range of stakeholders, some of which are senior, some of which are, are right there at the coal face, and just getting really deep around, you know, what's going on with the folks that they need to interact with successfully uh, on the side of their clients, um, and, and, and really focusing the offer, the, the style of interaction, you know, the proposition overall, based on what's going to cut through and, and address those pain points and really help their, their client be more successful in the end. And, and then that obviously flows back to the organization itself. So a lot of fun stuff now to, to really kind of get out of the spreadsheets and the PowerPoints and just get really hands-on around what, what's this all about at a human level and um, a big part of the equation there.
That's nice. I like getting out of my spreadsheets and getting it down to uh, <laughs> down to a human level. Very good. So just sort of circling back to CX360, um, you know, you're a specialist boutique. This is your this is your bread and butter. Um, what do you see as the benefits of of working with with guys like you compared to perhaps an agency or a traditional management consultancy? I think um, there's a few, we like to think there's quite a few advantages. Um, the way that we see um, the traditional approach to um, tackling these sorts of issues would be to go, to go either to try and do it in-house. Um, and I think often Australian businesses, are, are their, their instinct is to try to do that. Um, and uh, that can be successful, undoubtedly. Uh, often it can be pretty, pretty challenged, um, oft, often because um, the right talent isn't necessarily in, necessarily in place in-house. Um, and um, we all know, I think, um, just how quickly um, previously um, deeply held priorities can change next quarter. Um, and often uh, projects of this sort of nature can uh, fall foul of, of those changing uh, priorities. I think from an agency's point of view, um, I mean, if you think about it, the agency landscape is largely unchanged in many, in many ways. Um, and what we find um, when we're speaking to clients um, about their agency roster is that with relation to CX, is that their agencies are pretty uh, good um, at um, helping with particularly the front end, uh, perhaps of a, of a CX user journey. Um, so we pick up projects which are web-based or UX-based or UI-based, and maybe talk specifically to customer touch points. But that's done often in quite a, na quite a narrow um, field of vision. Um, and again, probably, um, is, is its impact is weakened by the inability to reach through the organization to really deliver uh, more fundamental uh, changes rather than just at the front end. And, and from a mainstream consultancy point of view, clearly they, they have significantly highly resourced um, um, areas. And I think that in one, in one way, that's probably the issue for some clients. What we hear from uh, clients is that the table stake in order, uh, the table stake to pay um, a, a large mainstream consultancy is very significant um, and uh, sometimes the ROI on that can be questionable. Um, and, and also I think um, what, um, what, what you get with um, that particular orthodox approach is um, existing playbooks that are held in vaults and don't really come out um, and the, the customer doesn't really have much transparency over what the methodology or, trans, or, or the playbook is. Um, and then I also think there are some problems around um, talent um, and, and casting the right talent to the project. Yeah, and I guess being um, someone who spent quite a few years in, in large mainstream consultancies and um, you know, certainly have uh, many fond and positive memories from that tenure. But um, you know, what we've really tried to do from, a, I guess, a point of how do we design something that's really laser focused on the needs of the market. So to use the, our own language, product market fit. We've really tried to nail the specialization and, and get, get um, you know, sharp capabilities mobilized in a way that helps these organizations. There's a real, if you think about customer experience, it's big and broad and there's a, a, a real kaleidoscope of 
capabilities that organizations now need to get their head around. I mean, there's a whole bunch of new digital capabilities that no one had to worry about, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And a lot of the, you know, kind of physical interaction capabilities haven't gone away. So, so businesses are more complex today, and it is harder to deliver a great customer experience. Um, it's, it's really all about uh, understanding what the capability gaps are um, on the client side across that wide, that wide kaleidoscope, and then helping them really fill those gaps with some deep specialization. And that's where we hook into freelancer networks. Uh, we've got a talent network of folks that you know have been there and done it, and we like to bring that experience directly to bear on the client. We also partner with other uh, small consultancies who, who, like us, are very specialized and focused. And really what we try to do is, is knit together a proposition that allows an organization to undertake their customer transformation for about ha- half the cost of what they'd invest with you know, the, you know, kind of the more orthodox approaches, but really drive significantly increased agility, um, significantly increased impact. Um, really, you know, two X is what we're striving for. Let's call out the experts is what I'm hearing. Get the experts in rather than just somebody that has a, a well-known brand. So, um, if people do want to reach out to, to you, you good guys, um, how can they do that? I think I think the simplest thing is to um, go to our uh, go to our website and um, and um, our email, which you can get through that for contacting us is simply contact at cx360.co. Contact at cx360.co. Um, but we'd we'd, um, we'd, we'd uh, like like folks to take a look take a look at, at our business through through those lens, and we're happy to. Uh, happy to engage uh, with anybody um, around the CX space. It's also worth noting, Ben, that, you know, being somewhat small and agile ourselves, um, you know, we're, we're, we're very excited to work with organizations of, of all sizes. So um, by all means, um, very happy to have those conversations. Fantastic. So that's cx360.co and that's CX as in the letters and 360 in numbers.co. Graham Christie, Robert Kincaid, thank you so much indeed for joining us today. Really appreciate your time and expertise. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity, Ben. Thanks, Ben. I've enjoyed it.